It's a blast from the future. Chris and I look into our crystal balls <laughs> at the September 2022 solicits. What's coming at us in the world of comics? The byword starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome in to a new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. And for this episode, we decided to take a look into the future with our Byword Big Talk as we sit down and analyze the upcoming solicits for September 2022. What is coming in the world of Marvel, DC, and independent comics that got us excited? And what do we plan to steer clear of? But before we get to the Big Talk, it is time, as always, for... Now, Chris, you have a really interesting news story that I'm not quite sure I can wrap my head around. What have you got? <laughs> so Aaron Taylor Johnson made an appearance this past week during Sony's Cine Europe conference and made some comments about the upcoming Craven the Hunter film in which he stars as the titular character that, needless to say, we did not see coming. While the artist formerly known as Pietro Maximoff revealed that Craven was shot entirely on location, perhaps the more interesting comments were surrounding that of the character of Sergei Cravenoff himself. Taylor Johnson said that he was excited to be in the role because he's, quote, not an alien or a wizard. He's just a hunter, a human with conviction. Wait for it. An animal lover and a protector of the natural world. He also said his quote, very, very cool character, is one of Marvel's most iconic, notorious anti-heroes and Spider-Man's number one rival, end quote. We're going to have to make a call to Reed Richards at the Baxter Building because, baby, that is quite a stretch. Framing one of more, uh, Marvel's most notorious headhunters as an animal lover is just, wow. And while Craven's Last Hunt by J.M. DeMatteis and Mike Zeck stands alone as one of the greatest comic books of all time, labeling him as Spider-Man's number one rival is laughable. Although it does sound like something that one of Spidey's rogues, Craven in particular, would say themselves. So maybe I spoke too soon and he was in character at that time. I also struggle with the label of anti-hero here, not to be completely technical, while the moniker works for characters like Venom, see the Lethal Protector series, and Morbius, <laughs> who has worked alongside Spidey numerous times on the side of the Angels, Craven has not, to my knowledge, ever done anything remotely heroic. The definition of the term anti-hero seems to have become muddled in recent years as villain people like to root for. Nevertheless, no matter how far Sony, Sony seemingly goes off the rails with these Spider-Man-centric films that don't have Spider-Man, they just continue to churn them out. See the recent re-release of Morbius to grand disappointment. The Morbius of it all. I honestly have adopted a laissez-faire approach to it because all I care about in the Sony realm is the Spider-Verse animated film franchise and everything come out of there it looks incredible. 
So until the live action Sony films actually include Spider-Man to play off of these villains, it's Das Vidanya, Sergei for me. Huh. Well, um, I don't think I can add much to that, Chris. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm as familiar with Craven as the next guy, having read, you know, a lot of the Craven stories in Spider-Man. Uh, and I really can't see the character described in this interview as the character from the comic books. Now, obviously, if you're going to make a movie about this character, you know, you're going to have to cast this character as the protagonist. In other words, uh, there's got to be something heroic or identifiable about him. So people actually want to see the movie. Um, But a converse conservationist, that seems like an odd approach to take for a guy literally called Craven to Hunter. Uh, what exactly is he going to hunt? Uh, I mean, if he's a conservationist, he's probably not even going to go squirrel hunting. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure how, uh, how this is going to, you know, pan out. Um, I think your general attitude towards the Sony movies is correct. Uh, you know, we're giving a lot of these Spider-Man adjacent movies that have nothing to do with Spider-Man because apparently they're just not going to use him. Uh, in in that Sony verse, if you will, I guess it has a lot to do with um, whatever contract they have going with Marvel and the fact that probably Marvel doesn't want to dil- dilute the brand and all that stuff. But ultimately, um, I think this is a huge mistake. I think we saw with Morbius and the absolute, um, let's call it a poop fest uh, <laughs> of a situation that this movie was in that uh, this is not working, guys. Um and I think it's sad too because you know they kind of have they kind of have a situation where um, you know Andrew Garfield seems to be totally into maybe reprising the role, and I don't know why they wouldn't just go ahead and say okay, well you know we'll get Andrew Garfield to do like guest spots in all of these movies, so at least you have a Spider-Man presence because he seems totally game for that kind of thing. He absolutely loved the role, obviously. So um, yeah, I think they're they're making a big mistake. Uh, it's like almost like Sony's hoping in vain that uh, Marvel's going to come around and be like, you know, this Morbius movie was really great. We're going to make it part of the MCU, and uh, I'm 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 just I'm just not seeing it. Is I think the problem. Yeah, I, I yeah I I don't know. I, I will say that the internet remains undefeated because there were some great photoshops making Craven the Hunter Ace Ventura pet detective. So that was that was that was one of the uh, silver linings to come out of this news. Um, but Dave, your news contrastly has me very very excited. Well, I'm just psyched because uh, Harley Quinn, uh, the uh, HBO Max series, is coming back for season three, finally, in July. Uh, Way overdue. I've been waiting for this for a while. Um, Obviously, animation takes time, and that's totally understood. Um, But Warner Media has revealed the list of movies, TV shows, and specials that will be added to HBO Max's library in July 2022. And the list includes, thankfully, Harley Quinn season three premiere. and that is absolutely uh, exciting. Now, as so often is the case, when these lists are announced, there is not an exact premiere date. So we know it is coming, you know, at some point in July. Uh, but it, precisely when it starts, we don't know. Now, the good news, of course, is that this is an excellent series and something really to look forward to. It is very, very funny, uh, raunchy in the best possible way. The first two seasons were uproarious. Uh, the tie-in comic that sort of bridges the gap between season two and season three. 
the Kiss Bang Kill tour was also really, really, really good uh, and kind of did a good job tiding fans over, I think. So uh, I'm just hyped to see where they're going with season three. Uh, this is just excellent news, Chris. Yeah, I... It feels weird, but I think this has somehow evaded our nerd commendation list, and that's a that's a huge misstep if if that is indeed the case, because this is far and away one of the best nerd centric shows that we've gotten in recent years. Um, I'm, for me, particularly um, Lake Bell as Poison Ivy and this dry sense of humor and deliver line delivery has just been such a yes. revelation to me. Like it's it's all I need. Just like hook it into my veins. I absolutely love her in that role, and it's 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 just everything. Um, there is one particular scene in the first season where they're they're at the end of a battle, and it's the most relatable thing if you've ever been in a long term relationship or a close friendship, even where they're ordering Thai food. Um, and it's just this back and forth argument about something as simple as ordering takeout, and it's it's just. It's chef's kiss, pun fully intended. I love this show. Um, go watch it. Don't let the kids watch it, but you go watch it. Adults, 18 and up. The show is perfect in every sense of the way. I love what they've done with so many of these characters. Honestly, Kaylee Cuoco, I did not see this one coming. Shouts to her because that is really, really cool. Um, and then I love Tony Hale. I'm a big Arrested Development fan and seeing him uh, in, in this show as well. I mean, like the voice cast is great. Ron Funches, it's it's so good. It's an all-star show that does not get near enough love. So go watch Harley Quinn, the animated show. And and I think there's this like animation bias from so many people that they really need to get over because this show's perfect. I'll echo that completely, Chris. I'm a huge fan of this one and uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to this. Alrighty, folks, well, that's it for Nerd News. Stick around because after a short break, we're going to be back with the Byword Big Talk, where we discuss the uh, big comic book solicitations for September 2022. What are our eyeballs peeled for? Find out. Welcome back, ladies and gentle nerds. It is time for the meat and potato segment, the big stuff, the best around. It's time for... And in this week's Byword Big Talk, we are taking a close look at the September 2022 uh, comic book solicitations that have been released so far. Uh, we want to talk about uh, the comic books that caught our eye and some books that we plan to stay uh, far away from. So uh, Chris and I each have selected three books that we have our eyes on that we're looking forward to checking out and one book that we're not quite sure is for us. Are we right? Are we wrong? You'll be the judge of that. All right, Chris, so what is your first book that you're looking forward to in September of 2022? Well, I'm actually looking at a crossover. I know that a lot of people are typically fatigued when crossovers come to light, but um, this entire thing surrounding Judgment Day, AXE Judgment Day, um, issue number four is going to be coming out September the 14th, written by Kieran Gillen and pencils by Valerio Schitti, a cover art uh, by Mark Brooks. The tease is, quote, the clock is ticking at midnight looms. It's not too late. 
Um, and everything around this franchise, you know, being a consumer of all the X books um, uh, and recently having read the entire 12 issue series of Eternals, more on that later in the show uh, by Ge- uh, Kieran Gillen. Um, I just I'm, I'm really, really excited about this. At first, when it was first announced, um, I saw it as another Avengers versus X-Men or Inhumans versus X-Men or like another way to get rid of the mutants. But like now having more context to what's coming along, I also read the first or the um, the free comic book day issue that kind of teased this out. Really, really excited about it. Um, I really just trust Gillen as a writer. I think it's it's a two way um battle for my favorite writer right now between Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing just everything that they're putting out um is just just top just tops everything that they write right now for me uh between Immortal X-Men and you know the Eternal series that I'll talk about in a minute but from Gillen and then Al Ewing with you know with Guardians um with uh Immortal Hulk and X-Men Red and Sword um, I also need to tap in on defend, Defenders. Uh, I've heard great things about that book. But um, yeah, so I'm really, really excited to see where they go from here because it's not just uh, let's deal with the mutants and um, a really, really interesting role. I haven't read much of Avengers because of you know things that we've talked about ad nauseum in the past, the phoenix of it all. Um, but I'm really, really interested to see where this series goes. Yeah, I'm right there with you as far as like uh, the very first statement you made that a lot of people just have event fatigue. Uh, I, I'm I'm right there, which is one of the reasons why I'm not, uh, you know, recommending or have my eye on, you know, the whole dark crisis thing going on at DC. Um, I've just really gotten tired of event comics. They're just, they're not really quite what I'm looking for anymore. I am very curious to see though, how this judgment day thing pans out. I'll probably wait for the series to be wrapped up before I give it a peek. Uh, it's interesting to bring these, you know, these three worlds together and see how they play off of each other. Um, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm very event fatigued, man. I'm, I don't, I don't know. Uh, if if this is going to be something that really resonates with me, man. Dave, so I'm really excited about your first pick because it turns out that prophecy is maybe one of the latent skills you didn't know you had because we just talked about how this character needs more love in our Pride um, episode. And oh, it's good news for Tim Drake fans. Uh, arguably uh, the best Robin, and I'm, I'm not saying that Dick Grayson isn't awesome, I'm just saying I like him better as Nightwing than Robin. Uh, arguably the best Robin that we've ever had, Tim Drake, is finally getting a new ongoing series called Tim Drake Robin. Uh, you know, not not to make anything confusing since we have also a Batman versus Robin number one coming out the same month which actually features Robin Damian Wayne. Is there any way that we can maybe settle on one Robin, please, and give the other character a different moniker? That'd be super thanks. Um, So here is the actual uh, tease with uh, Tim Drake Robin number one released in the uh, September 2022 solicitation. This September, Tim Drake's story continues in his own Robin series. Tim Drake Robin on sale September 27th spinning out of Batman Urban Legends and the Tim Drake Pride Special. Writer Megan Fitzmartin continues the next chapter of Tim's story with fan-favorite artist Riley Rosmo, uh, Harley Quinn. This kinetic high-energy series pulls Tim center stage as a mystery over a year in the making takes shape. 
a new villain has been hounding Tim from afar and decides to take things up close and personal, putting Bernard and everyone else Tim cares about in peril. All that, and Tim finally carves out a corner of Gotham City just for himself and sets up shop in his very own murder shack houseboat. If that's not enough, Break out your skateboards and motorcycles because DC has assembled a rogues gallery of artists to capture all of Tim's iconic looks over the years with a one-year-later-era variant by Jorge Jimenez, a 1-25 debut-era variant by Sweeney Boo, and a 1-50 Young Justice-era variant by Dan Mora. So, this is great news as a longtime Tim Drake fan. Um, when I first got into reading comic books uh, back in the ye olden days in the 90s in Germany. Um, one of the very first uh, Batman comic books outside of um, the Italian comic for the animated series that I picked up was actually trade paperback of the first part of Batman Nightfall. And in that story, obviously, uh, Tim Drake is Robin. You know, Dick Grayson has long moved on. Jason Todd is dead. Of course, having known Robin predominantly from adaptations, I was like, who's the new kid? Um, And then pretty much immediately just fell in love with him. He's just an absolutely fantastic character. Sort of uh, takes, you know, after Batman a little bit more with the detective side of things rather than being, you know, um, an acrobat like, uh, like Dick Grayson. Um, and from there, I, I eventually was able to hunt down the uh, Robin ongoing series, the first Robin ongoing series, which featured Tim Drake uh, and was absolutely fantastic, was initially written by um, Chuck Dixon uh, back in the days when Chuck Dixon was very strongly involved with the Bat offices. You know, he did you know a little work on Batman and he did Birds of Prey and he did Robin and he did Nightwing. He was kind of all over the place at that point. Before he lost um, his mind. Yeah. And so so the Tim Drake Robin series was really, really strong from the word go and kept shaping up very nicely within the introduction of one of my all time favorite favorite characters, Stephanie Brown, which kind of became his on again, off again girlfriend for a long time. Um, and so seeing Tim Drake take center stage again and not in a mini series, but what is being billed as an ongoing series is extremely exciting. Um, now, having read, you know, the recent stories out of uh, Batman Urban Legends and the Tim Drake Pride special, um, I think that uh, Megan Fitzmartin has a very nice sort of grip on who Tim is as a character. Um, you know, the added thing of him, you know, discovering his sexuality uh, across those uh, three stories that uh, she has written so far is, I think... Um, you're just an added bonus. You're getting kind of digging deeper into the character. And I think that's really interesting. Um, so I'm just really excited to see, uh, you know, where this goes. Uh, and and just seeing Tim Drake in his own book again is really, really exciting to me. So I'm, I'm all over this book when it comes out in September, Chris. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about this. I just got to season two of Young Justice and, um, you know, seeing... Tim Drake make his appearance there is really, really exciting and seeing the relationship that he and Dick have with one another and kind of like that big brother, little brother type of thing, at least in, in that series is really, really cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to check this one out because you really sold me on the, um, uh, in our pride episode. So this is definitely a character that I'm interested in getting to know better. And I will say, you know, the, his own Robin series is fantastic. And even though it's the name that shall, you know, never be said again, uh, there's some really good Tim Drake work hap- that happens in the Titan series that Jeff Johns wrote, the Teen Titan series, a few years ago. 
Uh, and even before that, if you like a humorous book, then good God, man, Young Justice, the actual comic book is such a, just a blast, such a great group of characters. So th- there's a lot of good, you know, older Tim Drake stuff out there, but he's been sort of under the radar now for a while. And seeing him, you know, make a full comeback is is really, really exciting, man. All right. So what is the second book that has your eyeballs peeled, Chris? Well, it's funny because now two out of my three picks are going to be DC books. So there's a shifting of the tides a bit. Uh, <laughs> but my my next pick is going to be Black Adam number four. It's written by Christopher Priest, art by Rafa Sandoval. The cover alone by Irvin Rodriguez sold me. I, I'm a sucker for like these blending of art styles. And so like anytime we get like um, like a paintbrush type of aesthetic for a comic book cover, is is really it just hooks me in like it's easy bait low-hanging fruit for me um they have uh variant covers by rafa sandoval and torin clark um as well as a one in 25 variant cover by pamela hugabom uh and here's the the uh, solicitation there is no redemption for black adam thousands of years ago did black adam inadvertently create a powerful race who've modeled themselves after the akkadian pantheon of goddesses and gods or is he being gaslighted, taunted by illusions by one of his many enemies? Theo Teth Adam finds only more questions when he is lured to the Akkadian Hightower and given a cryptic message. Uh, meanwhile, Adam has dispatched Etrigan the demon, an unlikely ally, to either train his youthful successor or kill him. I'm there. There's so many things that are tying me into this series. Uh, I mean, number one, you've got a name like Christopher Priest, whose Black Panther work is... I mean, like right up there with some of the best all time uh, in comics and right up there with ta Coates on that character um, in particular. And so I'm also a sucker, as our listeners know, about anything mythologically based or aligned. So you talk about deities, gods and goddesses and pantheons. I'm there. Black Adam is a character that I've been immensely intrigued by just by playing like the injustice video games um and so one of the actually aptly named anti-heroes um that i've been intrigued by in recent years um and then in particular um you know egyptology the history of ancient egypt and and kondok of course but um Egypt adjacent is always been very interesting to me. And then of course, you know, the, um, the influx of the trailer, um, that just dropped Fred by the rock and company. Um, I'm more excited to see Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate in that movie, I think. And, and, um, Aldous Hodge as Hawkman. Those were the two big draws of the trailer for me. Um, but this this cover alone made me go and grab issue one that came out this week that I um, am going to be reading very, very soon. I kind of like it's, it's very new reader friendly what DC is doing. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. Um, as a new DC reader, these limited series, while some people may see that as like a hindrance, it's really new reader friendly to not be completely overwhelmed um, where you can pick up, this is a four issue limited series or a six issue limited series. And it's really kind of like going to the library and picking out like a chapter book or something like that. And it's much, much easier to jump on rather than the flash number 789. That's completely overwhelming. Like, where do you start? Like, it's very, very daunting. So, um, I'm very excited to start reading some black Adam comics. 
Where do you start when you're at the flash number 789? Well, dude, with number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say the flash book right now, believe it or not, is probably the best it's been in years. It's 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 a really fantastic ride. It's brought, you know, Wally West back as the uh the the dominant flash and it's doing really, really cool stuff. So um yeah, it's 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 a really good book despite the very high number on the cover. And there was a really good jumping on point a few months back, uh, when he kind of came back, you know, and, and took sort of the the mantle of the the main flash. Um it's it's a really good book, but that that's neither here nor there. Um, Black Adam is a weird case for me. Uh, I think he works incredibly well as a villain, and most of the stories that I read with him, sort of as a villain, resonated fine. There, he had a really cool um, story arc in uh, one of my all-time favorite series, the weekly series fifty-two. Um, where he kind of, you know, build a family for himself and 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 try to be a better person, and then the family gets killed, and he kind of goes back off the deep end. It was a really really cool story arc, and then you know we had the Bendis of it all because Bendis did like this whole thing where he wanted to be, he wanted to have you know like this this redemption story for Black Adam, and 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 um, you know Superman believes in him and he's going to be a good guy and and at that point you know when you have Black Adam and Shazam sitting next to each other does Shazam not become a little bit superfluous when you have Black Adam with the same you know powers and everything and you know Black Adam is a Shazam villain what it comes down to and so I don't know how I feel about the whole like hero slash anti-hero treatment that they're giving him over there i'm very interested in seeing this series i need to take a look at that specifically because of the idea of him picking a successor i think there's potential for a really cool legacy character to come out of this if they do this right um but black adam himself i always felt works best just as a villain um so I'm I'm hoping even in the cinematic version that we're coming to the p- point where there's going to be a smackdown, pun fully intended, uh, between uh, The Rock's Black Adam and Zachary Levi's uh, Shazam. I think that's really where both characters shine when you have these two people with very similar powers, but they're you know very different in their approaches. Um, so that that's where I like Black Adam the best usually. Okay, Dave, I saw this when I was looking through the Marvel solicitations and I was like, sweet Jesus, if there was ever a comic created for my co-host and pal, it is this title. Yeah, man, it's the variants. So in September, we're getting the variants number four, which is uh, very, very exciting. But I'm still waiting for the variants number one, which is supposed to come out uh, July 13th. Uh, so here is uh, the tagline for the variants number one, so we get a sense for what the series is about. What would it really be like to meet an alternate version of yourself? Another you who made different choices and lived a completely different life as a result. That's the question facing Jessica Jones, as what seemed like a routine investigation instead has her encountering other incarnations of herself from across the multiverse. Can Jessica get along with herself? Will she want to kill her other selves? And will seeing the lives she could have led drive her into a self-destructive spiral? This is what happens when you meet the variants. So first of all, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Jessica Jones character. Um, I have read pretty much every comic book I can get my fingers on that features Jessica Jones um, from beginning to end. I'm all over this character. It's just an absolutely fascinating character. 
I was a big fan of the television series on Netflix as well. Really, really liked it and Kristen Ritter's performance in that. So I've been, you know, biding my time waiting for good, uh, you know, Jessica Jones content. And then along comes the variants and the announcement had me super excited because the writer is Gail freaking Simone. <laughs> and if there's anybody I adore as a writer in the realm of comics, it's Gail Simone. Uh, her work has been so fantastic every time I pick it up. I absolutely adored her run on Birds of Prey. I loved her Secret Six book. She even did some work on Red Sonja over a Dynamite that was, well, Dynamite. So seeing her take on uh, this character, Jessica Jones, that I love so much, like th- this book is like tailor-made for me. It brings some of my all-time favorite things together. Gail Simone, Jessica Jones, and I can't leave out penciler and cover artist Phil Noto. If you've seen any of the covers that have been released so far, they're absolutely gorgeous and breathtaking, and I cannot wait to get a good look at the interior art of this thing. Um, it's just really, really exciting. So I'm, I'm all over the variants. I cannot wait for July 13th, and you know I'm going to ride this one out. It's a five-issue limited series, and issue four will be coming in September uh, 2022. Yeah, this is very exciting. And like, um, and seeing Gail Simone on a Marvel book again is really, really cool. I know she did some work with Domino in the past, um, but seeing her back at, at Marvel is really, really cool. And I don't, I, I think that, that like you, you'd be hard pressed to find a better Marvel character for her to write than Jessica Jones. So this is really, really cool. Yeah, it's like the character was tailor made for her, man. Mm-hmm. All right, the final book that you can't wait to read, Chris. What have you got? I saved the best for last. This is broken record at this point, but you know I love me some Nubia, written by our dear friend of the show, Stephanie Williams, who we are trying to schedule once again for a return, um, hopefully sometime next month, but she's booked and busy. Um, she is at Heroes Con in Charlotte right now and and is just like incredibly busy, and we love that for her. Uh, but Stephanie Williams is the writer here at the final issue of this miniseries, Nubia Queen of the Amazons, number four, art by the incomparable Letha Martinez and Mark Morales. There's a cover by Kari Randolph, and then the variant cover is just breathtaking by Joelle Jones. I really, really enjoy Joelle Jones' um, aesthetic, um, and, and it's got me um, putting Wonder Girl back in, in my uh, to-read list as well. Um, here is the tease, the synopsis, if you will. It's Zilla versus Nubia for the power of Sekhmet. Uh, once upon a time, they were allies, but now they have been driven apart by a vindictive goddess. Can these women find peace and understanding in time to realize the danger in front of them, or is this the end of Nubia's reign for good? Find out in the final issue of our miniseries. So much going on here. Like I said, I'm a sucker for pantheons and kind of the blending of the Greco-Roman uh, pantheon as, with like traditional Wonder Woman comics uh, with like the African pantheon with, with Sekhmet is, is really fascinating here. I love what Steph has done, not only on this series, but the previous uh, iterations and, and kind of the revitalization this character has seen is like basically the it girl at DC and like one of the shooting stars, the character that's gone from obscurity um, and being criminally underrepresented into now like one of the primary faces, um, you know, on, on the pride issue right there. 
Um, and, and just, it's really, really important. And I, I'm dying to see where they go from here because as, as it's kind of like the double-edged sword of, yeah, it's a four issue series, but now like I, I need more. So what are we doing after this? So not only am I excited to see the grand finale of this series and this, this new character, uh, Zilla is really, really interesting. It's like this stealth kind of character, um that is completely created and new um but i want to see where we go from here after the end of this yeah i i feel so horribly guilty that i've not been keeping up very well with the whole nubia resurgence i hear nothing but good things and i'm a big big fan of stephanie so i i really need to get off my butt and and dive into these books um you know what i think i'll probably start this evening i think that that's just it's on my list now it's time to get caught up a little bit because this just sounds really really good man or or get on your butt unless you want to stand up and read either one either one's fine i mean i will i will read in any position that i need to that's all i know whoa, whoa I'll stand, okay i'll whoa. sit i'll lay <laughs> I'll, I'll do some yoga poses whatever man as long as i can read a comic book i'm all there <laughs> okay and now playing to our hits Dave has an off-the-wall pick. Who would have ever thought? Yeah, let's talk Doctor Who, because as it turns out, Titan Comics has had the Doctor Who license for quite a while and has been churning out some decent stories. I won't say that everything they churned out has been to my specific liking, but overall there has been some good stuff. And lo and behold, uh, the they have a book coming out in September that uh, caught my eye, um, because, A, it's uh, a series of 10th doctor, doctor stories, right? So it features uh, probably one of my favorite versions of the character. But on top of that, um, the writer is kind of an interesting situation because the writer of Doctor Who Special 2022 is Dan Slott. And Dan Slott has not written any Doctor Who ever. And I'll say that uh, I know that the guy is in a, in a weird spot as far as his Marvel fandom with a lot of, you know, kind of love-hate stuff being thrown his way. But I will say that as far as his rhythm and cadence with how he has written uh, Peter Parker in the past, um, that I think he could probably do a pretty good job on a Doctor Who story. Um, so here is the tagline. Eisner Award winner Dan Slott's Doctor Who comics debut sees Martha Jones spin three sensational yarns about the 10th Doctor in order to survive. An epic story that sees companion Martha Jones captured by the insatiable pyromaths, and her only hope for survival is to keep them distracted with sensational untold tales of the 10th Doctor facing off against his greatest foes, both classic and new. Witness the incredible adventures of the Tenth Doctor like never before. You'll be on the edge of your TARDIS as she recounts three unbelievable tales of the Doctor facing off against his deadliest foes. Bursting straight out of the long-running hit television series, this Doctor Who collection continues the time-traveling tales of the Doctor and friends. Buy it, read it, then travel back in time to read it for the first time all over again. Features a bonus story starring the Ninth Doctor and Rose Tyler. So uh, I'm a big fan of the 10th Doctor. I'm a big fan of the 9th Doctor as well. Uh, I generally like Dan Slott's writing fine. Uh, I liked a good stretch of his Spider-Man until it kind of started spiraling into the usual patterns. Um, so I'm really interested to see uh, what, he will, uh, what he will do with this. Um, so it's a 64-page uh, special uh, that will run $7.99. 
Um, and although it is in the uh, September solicits, they've bumped it now back to October 5th. But still, um, something a little different than if you're a Doctor Who fan might be something to check out. My Black Adam, if you will. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I have I have that relationship with Dan Slott. I, I, and I've probably said this before, but like he has a really interesting trajectory for me with like an unparalleled like resume on a particular title and a character. I mean, like a 10, a 10 year thing that's like Claremontian and like, that's, that's not something that really, really happens. And, you know, with, with superior Spider-Man, I think that was his magnum opus. And then it kind of tapered off for me there. I think that's fair. Yeah. And then it was very much just like playing the hits like that. It went from like, that band that goes on a, a a tour well past their prime, and then it turned into kind of like a cover band, not even the original band, um, towards the end. And then issue eight hundred one of ASM was lovely. That was a lovely send off. Um, I'm kind of red. <clears throat> excuse me the the Red Goblin thing was was kind of mid to me. <clears throat> And then what he's done just from the periphery with Franklin Richards in particular, I have zero interest on uh, checking out the the FF run. The 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 issue 44 fill-in by David Pepos uh, almost made my list because I was immediately sold as diehard in the Baxter building and seeing Sue Storm is like the central character there. That, that almost made my list. I, I probably will check that out. Um, hopefully I don't have a whole lot of continuity issues or anything with that. I've never been a big FF reader, so it's not like it's really taken away a lot from me. It's, I'm, I'm saying all this because I have little to no experience with Doctor Who. I've seen like five or six episodes of the Eccleston season. Um, so I do know that Slot is a huge, huge Doctor Who fan. So hopefully this works out for the best. Yeah, I have a good feeling about this one. Alrighty, Chris, now we've uh, come to the uh, the one moment of negativity in this love fest of an episode. What is something that you're planning on steering clear of in the S- September 2022 solicits? So I want to preface this but like by saying like this is just not catered to me as a reader, and that's totally okay. So this is not a hit piece. This is not a complaining time. If this title speaks to you and something you're excited about, God's bless. It's just not for me. So my one that I am steering clear of is Fortnite X Marvel Zero War number five of five. Um, writers are Christos Gage and Donald Mustard, who has the most epic name ever. Like, that's a dope name. Please tell me he's a current. I was, ah, you stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> what is his current military rank? Um, <laughs> art by Sergio Davila. Cover by Lionel Francis Yu, one of my favorite cover artists and internal artists. Uh, variant covers by Ron Lim, Maria Wolf. Maria Wolf's cover work uh, is just spectacular, like a rising star. Everything that I see from Maria Wolf, uh, particularly did a cover recently of uh, my beloved Danny Moonstar for New Mutants. Absolutely adore it. So Maria Wolf is one to watch. Love all of her work. Another variant cover by Donald Mustard. Uh, Martin Cocholo and Ryan Brown uh, round out. So a lot of stuff. And I get the appeal to this. I know it's like the hottest video game for the last five, six years. And I am the exception, not the rule. 
it's just not my bag. I have tried several, several times. Almost all of my children play Fortnite. Some of them religiously. Um, it's just not for me. I've tried. It's just not for me. So if you like it, I love it. Uh, the Solicit is the most dangerous person in the Marvel Universe, has thrown in with some of the most dangerous people in the Fortnite Universe. But what does Doom really want and how far will he go to get it? Each first print issue comes with a redeemable code to unlock a bonus, bonus digital cosmetic in Fortnite. See issue for details. I say this, all of this with a preface. I think it's a freaking genius thing. I know that DC and Marvel have done both done tie-ins. Um, so much so that like I read it, uh, I think one of the DC issues on uh, DCUI and gave the code to my kids. And like they were like super grateful. While this book is not catered to me, I think it's like the easiest and smartest decision that the big two have made in recent years because it has taken the world by storm. Um, and I think this is just incredibly smart, smart marketing. And if you want to get people, you know, our third, second or third issue, or excuse me, episode ever is we were like, how do we drive people to read comic books? This is one of those ways, especially with the age group that is the typical demographic for Fortnite. I think this is absolutely genius and a really, really smart business decision. It's just not for me. Christos Gage is a very talented art, uh, writer. I, I love some of the stuff that he did on ASM and particularly some of the Spider-Verse stuff, some of the strongest issues there. Uh, this is just not for me, but really, really, really smart business idea. <sighs> yeah, so, yeah, if you like, uh, you know, Fortnite, then... Um... Good for you. Uh, I don't. Uh, and so I have very little interest, just like you, in reading those books. Um, but I agree with you that uh, trying to uh, appeal to the generation that is really, um, um, you know, into this kind of thing and, and kind of drawing them into comic books, specifically, you know, Marvel comic books, that seems like a smart thing. Um, it's, it's just definitely not for me. So I, too, uh, will be steering clear. All right, Dave, you tipped your hand on this one before, but what is the book that you're going to avoid? I'm going to be avoiding uh, the tie-in miniseries that goes along with the Dark Crisis um, event. I will probably eventually read Dark Crisis event once it's concluded, um, but for now I'm just avoiding the whole thing. But in particular, I am avoiding the uh, Dark Crisis Young Justice uh, miniseries. Issue four is uh, got set to come out in September, but uh, issue one has already been released, and uh, it's made it pretty clear up front that this is not my kind of book. So here is the solicit for Dark Crisis Young Justice number four. Uh, Young Justice Against the World, the fake reality that Superboy, Impulse, and Robin are trapped in has completely turned against them, sending the full force of the JLA and the Titans they grew up with against them. It will take all of their combined might to fight through this onslaught and find out who is responsible for their imprisonment. Meanwhile, Wonder Girl, Arrowhead, and Red Tornado head to San Francisco's Titans Island in search of assistance, but all they find are bad memories. And I think that's what it's coming down to, uh, is the bad memories thing. Um, the first issue already of Dark Crisis Young Justice makes it awkward, really. Uh, Megan Fitzmartin here is not, uh, the writer, is not hitting the right tone for this at all. Um, I'm hoping that the series gets better, but I really don't feel the need to keep checking it out, to be honest with you. Um, 
there is sort of a, a narration in the first issue uh, by Wonder Girl as she describes uh, Superboy, Impulse, and Robin Tim Drake in probably the least flattering terms you can imagine. Um, it is completely kind of feels like everybody in the book is just miserable with themselves and their lives. There's a scene where Superboy... Um, talks about the justice league recently dying which is a big thing in in the dark crisis story and no and there was a big vigil and he basically says yeah nobody cared when i died uh which is absolute baloney stuff because not only was tim drake robin excessively trying to bring him back via cloning uh there was a cult of connor that emerged and a giant statue since he died in infinite crisis literally saving all of existence so him saying that is like one of the most tone-deaf things ever it just kind of makes it feel like maybe perhaps uh, Fitzmartin is not 100% familiar with some of the histories of these characters. Um, also slapping Young Justice on there and then being so very dour is is awkward too because the Young Justice moniker was always, this is a team of teens that are you know more lighthearted. Um, that's what the original Young Justice series was. Uh, even... Uh, when Bendis recently wrote uh, a short-lived Young Justice series, he firmly had, you know, tongue-in-cheek. There was a lot of humorous stuff going on. Um, it was quite decent, actually, as a follow-up to Young Justice. I wouldn't call it great, but, you know, it was better than no Young Justice. But this is just so dour, and everybody is so miserable, and it just seems so counter to what the Young Justice moniker means that I just have absolutely no interest in reading this miniseries in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think this also plays into some of the biggest tropes in comic books, which I think I think this made our list, but if not, it should have, is heroes fighting heroes. Um, and I know that sounds disingenuous since I'm, I'm you know, advocating for... Uh, judgment day but that's that's a very different premise it's a very meta type thing and i think that there are bigger issues and forces at play there rather than just hero versus hero it's it's much more meta type thing and this just from from what they're soliciting here from the outside looking in it's very much that old trope of hero versus hero and uh, i'm not a big fan of that yeah so that that that's definitely it for me no no dark crisis young justice that's all i gotta say about that all righty folks what has got you hyped about the september 2022 comic book solicitations hit us up on social media we are on instagram and on twitter at nerd by word individually at that nerd chris and at that nerd dave we want to hear what you think about the comics coming our way in september of 2022 after a short break we'll be back with our favorite segment nerd commendations get ready for some new nerdy media just for you stick around Alrighty, folks, we are back, and it's time for our patented segment. And there's always fun to be had when Chris and I recommend some new nerdy media. So, Chris, what are you nerd commending this week for our listeners? 
Um, the Eternals. It's a 12-issue maxi-series written by Kieran Gillen with 98-ish percent of the art done by Asad Ribich. Uh, there was a couple of, uh, there was like one fill-in in the latter issues in 11 or 12. I can't, I can't recall, but, um, and, and it's, it's a really welcome change. And I think I talked about this last week is, is when you have the same creative team on every issue and you kind of have that constant through line, it's really refreshing when, you know, publishing is so jam packed and like, we got to push out this issue every month or every other week in some cases that we need fill in artists and, and what have you, but like having this complete 12 issue run by the same two folks principally is really, really refreshing and really, really cool. And so I checked this out, um, based on how much I did enjoy the MCU film. I'm, I'm kind of contrarian in that. I liked it. Um, and I'm a big fan of Kieran Gillen's work. Um, so I immediately checked it out for those reasons. And Asad Ribich. I love Asad Ribich, particularly on his work with Thor, uh, God of Thunder with Jason Aaron. And so, I mean, like this was, this was right up there with me. I had no previous real experience with the Eternals outside of the film. Um, and this is not at all what I expected it to be, but in the best possible way. Um, this is like equal parts, like a murder mystery for the first half of the series, like a whodunit and like there are so many twists and turns to who you think is is the culprit here so long story short thanos is back and worse than ever and he's murdering all the um eternals and it is it is revealed that there is one of the eternals that is working with him and Every issue, there are several twists and turns as to who you think his accomplice is. And so that's the primary part of the first six issues. And then the second half, uh, Thanos is elected the prime eternal. And the way that Gillen writes Thanos is abjectly terrifying. So if you're a fan of, you know, like horror comics or like high suspense type of stuff, Thanos is legitimately terrifying and one of the, the best adversaries and the way that Ribich does the art with his red eyes is just absolutely terrifying and like all you want in an adversary in a comic book. So it's really, really great. And then um, as far as the unexpected portions of it, the, the characterizations here of, of the Eternals are markedly different from what we got in the film. But it doesn't take away from either one, in my opinion. I think the biggest surprise for me was Cersei. Cersei is very common, like a like a very kind of carte blanche type of protagonist in the film. And in the comics here, she's very much a schemer and um, like a like a very talented, silver tongued uh, kind of player of the political game and a schemer. And I love, and I love that. I love that fascinating character. Um, So if you're going into the series thinking it's going to be just like the MCU film, you're going to be pleasantly surprised in my opinion. Um, I really, really love in particular um, the world machine. Uh, Earth is the narrator of this series and it's just really funny snappy witty dialogue sarcastic as the narrator commenting on so many different things that are happening in the story in the world at large 
Um, Kieran Gillen, like I said previously on the show, is is easily my top two writers with with Al Ewing, um, and and so much so that like this, there's just a lot of scheming and politics and backstabbing going on in this. It's like um, it's like a game of Clue or you know, like one of those classic murder mystery type of things and, and constant scheming soap opera in the best possible way. And then, you know, Ribich's art really adds so many different elements to the storytelling as well. Um, and and so this is a, probably one of the biggest pleasant surprises that I've had in recent years and a really, really strong nerd commendation for me and to the point where it's got me completely sold on judgment day coming up and i'm really really excited to see where these characters go and my beloved mutants oh and the avengers too i guess yeah i've been wanting to check out some eternals content for a while and i wasn't really quite sure where to jump on because it's pretty clear that the original series by jack kirby is extremely you know dense and difficult to get through for some um so i was looking for an easy access point would you say that this is that yeah, I, like I said, I had no previous history with any comics, Eternals, whatsoever. Um, another point that I, I neglected to mention is we see um, kind of like this the stereotyping of the deviants and like, I mean, just in the name. And you see some real humanization um, and some real sympathy given towards the deviants that is really, really important, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to check this one out, man. This this sounds up my alley. I was intrigued by the the MCU movie. As you know, I had my my reservations about it, but I thought there was a lot to love there. And so I would like to dive in and, you know, get more from that world. So if this is that book, then I'm all here for it. All right, Dave, this is the least surprising nerd commendation you've had in a quite a while, and I'm excited to hear about it. Well, much like Tim Drake Robin, I think this is a book that I seem to have willed into existence by sheer force of wishing for it. Um, but finally, after you know years of wishing and hoping, we got finally the book Batgirls with an S. Yes, more than one Batgirl. Um, so Batgirls has been running for uh, three or four issues at this point, four issues, something like that. Um, and the first issue just dropped on DC uh, Universe Infinite. So here is uh, the tagline of the book um, directly from DC.com. Um, um, hello, you didn't actually think we'd keep you waiting this entire year without giving you the Batgirl series we've all been wanting for forever, right? No way, we love you too much. Just like Batgirls, Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown are only able to navigate the dark, gritty, and oftentimes scary city of Gotham by leaning on the bright light that is their best friendship. Mentored by Oracle, the Batgirls move to the other side of town where Barbara Gordon can keep a better eye on them while the hacker Seer is still invading their lives. Steph may be too rash sometimes and Cass doesn't speak much, but what they lack in similarities they make up for with their mutual respect and love for each other and what makes them stronger together as Batgirls. And they may be good at kicking beep, but they are just (laughs) trying their best to be normal teenagers who'll borrow the keys to a muscle car that belonged to a bad guy and perhaps give it a joyride around town without a driver's license, then race to get back home to Oracle by curfew. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll tell you that uh, this book is 
everything I wanted, but didn't quite know that I wanted, I guess is the best way to put it. It's a very, very weird situation. Um, so it is written by Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan and has art by Jorge Corona. And let me just tell you that there's some stuff going on here, man. Uh, first of all, it's very clear that this is not the Stephanie Brown Brown of my favorite series by Brian Q. Miller. She's not in college. She's younger. There's been some de-aging going on here. And it's definitely not the Cassandra Kane of the Batgirl series I adored so much because she was also doing a healthy dose of growing up. This is very much a series that centers on Cassandra and Stephanie as teenagers. And although I was initially... Not too thrilled about that choice. I have to say it shockingly works to cast them a little younger and then have some fun contrasting uh, them with uh, Barbara Gordon trying to take care of them. The art is... I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's a different view of Gotham than I think we've ever really seen. It's almost this neon-infused... Um, I would almost describe it like 80s aesthetic, but it's not quite that, if you know what I mean. Um, the art is super, super cool and very, very stylized and does some really interesting, you know, things with, with the whole visuals of Gotham City and, and of the Batgirls. Um, there's a great, great sense of humor that that runs through the whole book. I think the uh, characterization of Barbara Gordon, who, although she is, you know, no longer wheelchair bound in DC, has started, you know, going more and more into back into her Oracle role, which I totally applaud. I think the characterization is really good. As you know, I've, I've read a lot of Barbara Gordon comic books at this point, and I can say that this is pretty much in line what you would expect from the character. And so you have a, a really good take on Barbara Gordon. You have a good take on a younger Stephanie Brown and a younger Cassandra Kane, kind of bucking against the system and not following all the rules. And what you get is a book that is just joyous. Like there's just so much fun to be had in this book. Seeing the relationship between Cassandra and Stephanie is, is a lot of fun too. This is different from what I imagined but better than I expected. Uh, it's just a really, really fun book, and I and I highly recommend it. It's just, it's just great. Yeah, I'm really, really interested to dive into this because um, I know about stuff because I read the the Miller series on your recommendation. I don't know anything about Cassandra Kane other than that she's a popular character on social media and has a lot of fans. And then, of course, I know peripherally, of course, about Barbara Gordon. Um, but I'm really, really excited. If for nothing else, um, the art style is really drawing me in. It reminds me, it's very similar to what a series that I'm reading right now and loving from Marvel, Spider-Punk. Kind of like that punk rock kind of aesthetic. Yeah, um, yeah I can see that, man. So I, I'm definitely checking this one out. Alrighty, folks. That's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. What did you think of today's episode? Hit us up on social media. You can find us individually at Nerd. Uh, you can find us individually at that Nerd Chris and at that Nerd Dave, or at Nerd By Word. And if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, or NerdByWord.com a new beautiful website that has been revitalized by one 
Dear Dave. And uh, you can also hit us up if you want to engage with us. Just chat about whatever you want to talk about. Video games, comic books, shows that you're watching, uh, pro wrestling, movies, anything and everything. Be sure to hit us up on our Discord server. Link is provided on our website. Uh, or hit us up on social and we'll get that to you as well. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.